Hello, I'm Party Parslow, and this is Party in China. It's the story of my fascinating, frustrating, and very funny adventures teaching English in the Chinese provinces of Sichuan and Jiangsu. This is the truth, but it's not the whole truth because just too much happened, and it's not nothing but the truth because there are jokes and hearsay, conjecture and mistakes, and because most of the time I had no idea what the hell was going on over there. Welcome to the tenth installment of Party in China. In 2012, the Mid-Autumn Festival was combined with the Chinese national holiday to make a ten-day break, as Sunnies explained in this newsletter. New letter. The Chinese National Day and Mid-Autumn Day are coming very soon. Your school maybe have a small change of your teaching schedule, and you may need to work on 29 September. During your trip in the holidays, please take good care of your safety and your valuable things, and keep your passport and yourself well. The Mid-Autumn Festival falls on the 15th day of the eighth lunar month. Because the eighth lunar month is mid-autumn, and the fifteenth is the middle of that month. On that night, the moon is supposed to be brighter and fuller than any other night. Our teachers remember to watch the moon on the sky, and enjoy the full moon. Watching the moon is an important part of the mid-autumn festival celebrations. At night, people stay out and admire the beauty of the full moon. Eating the moon cakes. Well, that sounded lovely. But what did moon cakes have to do with me having to work the weekends before and after a holiday in order to make up for the school days missed because of the holiday? Mr. Wong tried to explain. But Mr. Party, you have three days holiday. Yes, and I'm working four days extra, so that's not a holiday. I should get overtime. What is overtime? And what about my contract, which says that I never work more than five days a week? Monday to Sunday is seven days a week. Yes, but then you have holiday. It's not a holiday. I wrote to Belinda about it, and received this reply. Hi, Party. I understand. I know you are a kind man and a professional teacher. All of the school teachers like you and respect you very much. Yes. On the contract, five days each week, but everyone need to work according to the law. Usually, we need to work till the last day before the holiday, even its weekends. Hope you can understand it. No, Belinda. No, I couldn't. Local people were impressed when I told them that I lived in Modern Garden. It was considered high class. There were two entrances, one near the school and the other on the opposite side of the block where I lived. The main gate was guarded 24 hours a day, although after about 10 p.m. you had to wake up the snoring security man. I was advised to tip him a few yuan on such occasions, but all they ever accepted was a cheery, "Good on you, mate." Our guards weren't armed and seemed to spend most of their time smoking, listening to the radio, and taking turns to push the button on the remote control to open or close the gate. After one of my Walmart plastic bags burst and bottles of beer rolled around the driveway, they started taking loud delight in betting each other how many beers they could find in my shopping. Soon, some guards and neighbours began to covet my garbage. Presumably for the glass and cans, although Modern Garden wasn't modern enough to recycle. Every two or three buildings of twelve to fifteen apartments each all shared a single garbage bin, which overflowed by lunchtime. 
whereupon a platoon of poor-looking people were left through the gate to sort through the refuse and take away anything of value before a three-wheeled truck counted off what they left behind. My neighbours would race each other to be the first to retrieve my trash from the bin for inspection and assessment. After a month or so, they wouldn't even wait for me to dump it. I'd be waylaid at my door. As this started when pollution was bad and people were wearing face masks, I wasn't sure if I was handing over my bags to a garbage man or a highwayman. Thank you. The most enthusiastic of the rubbish muggers was a chubby old lady with a surprising turn of speed. She spent most of the day wandering around with her toddler grandchild and found it a lovely game to let the kid buzz my apartment, then laugh their heads off when I answered in English. If I went downstairs to ask them to stop, they'd laugh much harder. So I tried to link the garbage with the game. If they buzzed me, I wouldn't hand over my bags. But then they just followed me around anyway, and as I couldn't walk into the school with a bag full of trash, She'd either grab it from whichever neighbour's bin I left it in, or harumph angrily if I managed to find somebody else to give it to. And they never stopped buzzing my doorbell. <laughs> Just inside Modern Garden's front gate was a convenience store where other residents picked up cigarettes, snacks and milk. And I sometimes bought items based on the picture on the front of the box. Not a good idea but not as bad as choosing arthritis medicine based on what sort of pain the cartoon on the packet seems to be suffering. That's a real lottery. Trying to get some customer service through mime didn't impress the shopkeeper who was a cranky older lady who always said the same phrase as I left. It was something like, Miao ji zhong I imagined it was thanks for your business or please call again. But the first time Zhong was with me, she had a fit of the giggles translating that the woman had actually been telling me to learn Chinese each and every time. I didn't see Trevor much during the holiday as he'd found a girlfriend. Or maybe he'd found several. He'd been an immediate hit with the local ladies. Women would stop us at school, in bars, just out on the street and tell him, You are handsome! And then look at me as if speculating that somebody had shaved a polar bear. You'd think Trevor would be appreciative of such positive female attention, but he'd always disagree with the compliment, pointing out some non-existent or minor flaws in his appearance, which I thought endearing, but highly stupid. His admirers ignored this modesty, however, and he soon cut a merry swathe through the local sisterhood. It would be ungentlemanly to share the number of his girlfriends. I didn't keep count, really. But suffice to say, I was vehemently envious, and whenever I saw a woman on his arm, loathed to use her name in case it belonged to the last one. I had trouble telling most of them apart. They were all small and pretty with long black hair. When I managed to find a girlfriend, I planned to choose a woman with one eye or a huge wart on her nose so I could easily pick her out of a crowd. <laughs> After the national holiday, I had to go to Chengdu as my tourist visa was about to expire. Travelling solo for the first time, I followed instructions and boarded the number one bus to go to Sunny's via Tianfu Square. Unfortunately, the number one doesn't go past Tianfu Square, so I never saw the giant Mao statue, which is where they told me to get off. 
After around two hours, the bus stopped at a depot many miles away in an old grey concrete neighbourhood. When I rang Sunny's to say I was lost, I spoke to somebody new, Vicky, who told me to give the phone to the bus driver. They chatted for a while, then he gave me my phone back and pointed at another driver who was walking away. Vicky said to follow that guy, so I did. Right into the toilet, where he took a piss while looking warily over his shoulder at me the whole time. After he finished and didn't wash his hands, I gave him my phone and Vicky explained to him where I had to get to. Then he suddenly threw me the phone and ran away. Momentarily stunned, I took a few seconds to follow and soon lost him amid all the buses, but then I was nearly run down by one, driven by my quarry. He'd realised he was late leaving and ushered me aboard to get going. Over an hour later, back in Chengdu City, he indicated that I should alight from the bus, but I'd already worked that out, as I could hear a high-pitched, Party! 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 coming from the crowd. Chinese don't wait for you to get off the bus before stampeding on. It's mass foolishness, as obviously there's going to be more room for them inside once the people on the inside are on the outside. I later learnt to drop a shoulder and just ruck and maul my way through, but wasn't used to it yet, and the bus almost left before I finally made it out the door. That was when I met Vicky. The living definition of cute. It's so tiny that we appear to be from different species. After a quick visit to Sunny's to pick up some paperwork and a huge wad of cash, we crossed Tianfu Square, passing the giant Mao and the Natural Science Museum, to another official-looking building, which was closed for lunch. When we rendezvoused again, the PSB waiting room was packed, so we took a number and waited. Vicky has good English, and she's an intelligent, if naive young woman, so the time trickled away pleasantly enough in conversation until our number was called. Vicky had just been assuring me there was nothing to worry about. Everybody knew foreigners worked on tourist visas. She herself had successfully brought many teachers to this very office. There would be no problem. But when our number finally buzzed, she handed me the paperwork and the cash and scarpered, saying, I don't want the police to see me here again. Very reassuring. But she was right. The board officer barely spoke to me, except to ask if I had enough money for another month in China, which was when I pulled the huge wad of notes out of my pocket. Not suspicious at all. Everyone wanders around Chengdu with 20,000 yuan in cash. That's over 3,000 Australian dollars. Afterwards, walking back across Tianfu Square, we met another Sunny's employee with another foreigner. Vicky told me to give them the money. I said... What money? Sparking a moment of amusing panic. But when I handed it over, it felt like a drug deal, and Giant Mao appeared to be staring right at me. As it was too late to go back to the school, I went for a ride on the metro, the Chengdu subway. A platform sign featured two toddlers on the train, one urinating and one defecating on the floor of the carriage surrounded by the red circle with the diagonal bar that's the international symbol for don't. In this case, don't let your children pee and crap on the subway. See, most Chinese bubs, they look outrageously cute, 
They get bundled up in cuddly, brightly coloured costumes of everything from pandas to strawberries. However, the arse of their outfits opens up like Bombay doors. Bombay doors, I call them. Thank you. When it's time for the little ones to go to the toilet, they don't go to a toilet. No, the parent or grandparent squats on the pavement, raises the toddler's knees so the slot in the backside gapes open, and the urine and feces drop freely onto the footpath. I have seen more considerate parents aiming their child at a tree or a scrap of grass, but most don't give a shit where the child gives a shit. So on the streets of Sichuan, you can never be sure if what you just stepped in came out of a Rottweiler or a Rugrat. In our next instalment, I find ways to have harmless fun at my students' expense. And I find myself under suspicion by the Police Security Bureau. That was fun. That's coming up on Party in China. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to Party in China. For more, like us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. Subscribe to the podcast at Audio Boom, Stitcher, iTunes, or your favorite podcast distributor. This has been another quality podcast production from Bytes.com.